There are some things that are in the scriptures that as a pastor or someone who is called to teach and shepherd people and uh, handle the word of God, you just feel uh, unqualified for. Like you just don't have the words to express the glory of a particular passage. And this is that kind of passage today. And so I'm going to do what I can and let the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts because if you take what is in the scripture that we study today and you get it in your heart, you will never, in, you'll never grow another day older in your spirit. You'll never feel the pangs of pain like you felt them before. But you will have a peace and a hope that really drives you through, pulls you through towards the Lord, if you can just get it in your heart. So we're going to work on that today. When I was a, a kid, which wasn't that long ago, <laughs> it was a while ago, actually. I just keep realizing how much longer it was ago, especially with glasses now. And people have told me I've even gained some weight since then, so I don't know. Um, we lived in Southern California. We're one of those people. I was born in Washington, though, so um, I'm allowed to come here. Uh, but we lived in Southern California when I was a kid, and it was relatively warm and beautiful. Doesn't look, it's still relatively warm, not as beautiful as it used to be. Uh, but we would have Christmas pretty much every year at our house. We very rarely traveled anywhere for Christmas because people like to come to Southern California in December, go figure, uh, when they live in rainy or cold places. Um, and sometimes we would have quite a few people from the extended family join us for Christmas. Sometimes both sides, my dad's side and my mom's side would come, which gave them, you know, things to talk about, about each other. Um, so, cause you got to keep that going. I'm kidding. They never did that. There's somebody watching like they talked about us. Probably people talk about each other. You get over it. Um, anyway, we'd go to Disneyland cause we lived like five minutes from Disneyland. We could see the fireworks from our house. It was pretty special. Uh, why did we move again? I don't know. Where's my dad? I don't know. Anyway. Um, all that was really nice. It was really nice. But as a kid, what I loved about Christmas wasn't so much the family coming or the uh, Disneyland uh, trips or whatever. I mean, I liked that stuff. But it was about the presents. It was about the presents, right? And of course, more family coming means more presents because you can't come and not bring a present for the kids, right? So I knew that as those family members were coming into town, that tree was stacking up with presents. And it was a pretty special thing. I would look forward to Christmas Day we opened our presents on Christmas Day because we're not weird Christmas Eve people. Um, get some patience, Christmas Eve people. I don't know what's going on with that. I have people, oh, we open them on Christmas Eve. I'm like, all right. Yeah, do you even get it? Anyway, that's, that's fine. Um, but I, <laughs> I would go to bed that night about to burst. I was so excited that that next day I was going to be so happy. I was so hopeful for that next morning because I knew it was going to be so good. Now, I've had nights like that since I was a kid, the night before my wedding, the nights that, you know, that my kids were born, children born, stuff like that. But you don't get a lot of them the older you get. When you're a kid, it's like, for me at least, it was like every Christmas it was like that. And as time goes on, you look forward to different things and they don't come as often. Um, the older I get, uh, the less presents I get. For some reason, I guess it's more exciting to watch a seven-year-old open a new toy than a 40-something fat guy open up socks. I don't know. So go figure. So I don't get as many presents as I once did. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I still look forward to many things, but the older I get, 
the more I realize there's something so much better, so much better than anything that I've ever hoped for before. The older I get, the longer that I follow Christ, the longer I spend knowing Jesus, the longer that he's spent transforming me and forming me, the different my mind has gotten towards the things that I hope for. The more I look forward to seeing him face to face. The things that you invest in, right? Those are the things that you want to see come to fruition. Some of you are like, I bought GameStop. It's going to, you know, there's this whole thing about like, it's going to be worth a billion dollars a share. I don't even understand. Like, if that was true, there would be no more money. So it wouldn't work. But there's people that they invest in something and they get, they get behind it, right? And when you've invested in Christ, when you've invested in the kingdom, you want to see him face to face. You want to see him face to face. That's the hope I hope for. The resurrection of my body, the transformation into perfection, into who I was intended to be fully. I'm looking forward to that. I look forward to leaving behind the sinfulness, the brokenness of the world, this broken earth, this broken universe, and really, honestly, this broken body. It's not doing good like it used to be. When I was young, I mean, I remember like the things I could do when I was young, and I, and I laugh thinking about trying to do those things now. Like, it's just not, it's not happening, okay? Uh, I look forward to being with God, walking with him, talking with him, hugging him, laughing with him, serving him, honoring him, praising him, and being with you all, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I am so looking forward to that day when brokenness and sin and all those things don't come between us. Because right now, we still got all kinds of problems. I have a list of names that I want to bring up about. No, I'm kidding. I don't have that. I do. No, I don't. I don't. I don't have a list of names. All of us, we're all sinners, right? And so we're struggling with that. I look forward to that day when I'm with God and with you. And we're in perfection. And there's nothing between us. Just love. Just peace. Just hope. We're just honoring God. We're honoring one another. It's going to be truly awesome. And when I say awesome, I don't mean the way that people use it these days to mean something pretty good. Oh, that's awesome. That is not what that word means, just so you know. I do not think that word means what you think it means. It's awe. True awe, to be filled with awe. We will be completely undone. Completely undone with the awesomeness of God, with the awesomeness of his kingdom, of his presence. It's going to be something that you cannot imagine. The hope for presence on Christmas morning kind of fades away. Looks small and insignificant in comparison. In fact, nothing compares. Scripture says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. That's how I was. Christmas morning was coming. That was the best thing that I knew of to look forward to, right? But when I became a man or a woman, an adult, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. You have the smallest glimpse right now. Just the smallest whisper of what's to come. But then face to face. Then you shall know just as you are known. To be known, it's not just knowing, it's to be known and know that God knows me. 
when he starts telling you about everything he knows about you and who you are and how he made you. The, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Face to face, face to face with God to be known and to know. We don't, we don't fully get it and we can't really get it. It's not your fault that you don't fully get it. It is too wonderful for us. It is. These broken bodies cannot contain the joy. They cannot contain the real eternal pleasures that will come and that await the children of God to have forevermore. You can't, you can't contain, your body can't, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Just, you just blow up. You just couldn't handle it. You can't contain it. It's beyond understanding, but it's not beyond hope. It's not beyond hope. To be completely enveloped in the love of God forever, to hope for that. Nothing that you have ever suffered can cause you pain again when you're with the Lord. Nothing. That doesn't exist. He wipes every tear away. There's no pain. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no broken heart. There's none of that. Now, here's how I know that we don't truly conceive of what is waiting for us. You know how I know? Because we worry. Because we fall into sinful nonsense. Because we get distracted. Because we run after things that will fade away and worry about them. Because if we were fully just enveloped in the concept and the idea of understanding where we're going, who we are, what eternity looks like, those things just wouldn't happen. You couldn't be worried if you understood where you were going. That's why we have scripture like Romans chapter eight to remind us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep our priorities in the correct order. This is what this is for. We've been studying the book of Romans. This is actually number 20 in this series, uh, in the scripture. And uh, we've had, I've done a lot of them, and we've had Pastor Dave and Dr. David and, and Glenn. So different people have done different, different ones. Um, but we are now in number 20, and we're hopefully, Lord willing, going to complete chapter 8 today. It's 1042. We're going to see how that goes. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the scripture. Father, we just pray that your scripture, Lord, as much as ever, Lord, that you would get it in our hearts. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord, that it might get in our hearts. Whatever is that we're struggling with, whatever's going on in our life, whatever difficulties we're facing, whatever sin we've had, Lord, I pray you'd forgive it all, that we might hear from you today, that we might be new, that we might be fresh, and that your word might penetrate our heart, that we might live like people who believe what we're about to study. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. All right, here we go. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, there's a lot. That's a power pack statement right there. We cannot compare the glory that is to come with the sufferings we suffer. Some of you have suffered in ways that I can't imagine. And yet, the Lord knows that. The Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write this letter knows that. And yet, no matter what you have suffered, it cannot compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's not that our sufferings are going to be made up for, like a transaction, you come in, it's like, how much suffering do you have? Okay, that's how much glory you're going to get so that it all kind of washes clean. That's not, it's not a transaction with God. It's grace. God is not going to look at your suffering and say, here's enough joy and pleasure to make up for the pain you went through. There is no comparing. 
There is no comparing. Your suffering and everyone's suffering cannot compare to the glory which will be revealed in the children of God. It is so much more than a one for one. You can't compare it in that way. The love and joy and peace and pleasure and comfort are so much greater than any pain we have experienced. If I had woken up one Christmas day at seven, eight years old, and under the tree had been every toy, like all the toys, I'm talking in the world, they were all there, it wouldn't even come close. That would be nothing. That would be, as Paul says, rubbish, or in the King James Version, dung, in comparison to what God has for us. Nothing you can imagine for yourself. Like, I can imagine a lot for myself. Don't even bother. You cannot imagine the joy, the pleasure, the peace, the love. You can't imagine it. No one who was able to understand anything about what God has for us would trade that for anything you've ever seen or heard of in this world. It's better than all of that. Pain and suffering are the result of the sin that's broken the world. Your pain, all pain that you have ever felt, has all been because of sin. There's no other reason. Matthew Henry puts it this way in his concise commentary. As to man, not a tear has been shed, not a groan has been uttered, not a pang has been felt in body or mind that has not come from sin. You know what's absent in the kingdom? Sin. None of that can happen. Sin does not exist in heaven. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. Sin has been defeated by Jesus Christ. That's why nothing in this world that has sin in it can satisfy you. That's why nothing can satisfy you. Because this world is under the curse of sin and brokenness. You know it. I know it. That's why the best things that you ever experience are like this far-off call from eternity. You're like, that's something. That's something. But I know that, that's, that there's more to it than just that, right? We see a glimpse. We see a glimpse. Real friendship. Family. Beauty. Art. Good music. Joy. Good food. Good work. All of these things are like a, they're like a glimpse. When you have that moment where you're like, oh, that's really good, right? You watch uh, your friend or your family member, you know, get, you know, doing something and you just have this, this joy in your heart. It's, it's like that is just a glimpse. We see through a mirror dimly of what's coming. All the good that we see that's corrupted by sin is in its fullness in heaven. We see a glimpse through these corrupted things, of that which will be without corruption. All the corruption, all the sin will fade away, and all the things that are good will explode into glory. Let's read verses 19 through 23 now. Still in chapter 8. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also, also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Who's had birth pangs? Anyone? Not me. I'm just raising my hand to show you to raise your hand. I mean, she squeezed my hand pretty hard, but I did not experience the birth pangs. When you're having the birth pangs, you're, you have a hope for what's about to come, right? 
And, and there's a hope there, but it's still painful. That, that is what we're experiencing now. That is what we're experiencing now in this sinful world. We have the birth pangs, the groanings, the difficulties, but the hope, the hope of being redeemed. The word earnest expectation that's used here, it's actually just one word in the Greek. And it's, it's the idea is like sticking your head out, like earnestly, like expecting, like waiting, like you're, like you're trying to see something. That's the idea here. An earnest expectation. Staring with your body to see what you're waiting for. It's an eagerness for what you're hoping to see. It's excitement through your whole body. You've been there before. The edge of your seat. When your team starts to break away, that run, for those of you who like football, some of you probably do, you see there's just this moment when a running back like gets through that first line and you're like, oh, this could happen. And you're like, ah, right? Like, oh, it's going to happen. That edge of your seat, waiting with expectation. For those of you who don't like football, I don't have a, I don't have one for you. Something that you like a lot that makes you get to the edge of your seat. You work it out. It's hope. It's hope. The whole universe was subjected to futility, to vanity because of sin. It's worthless. You can't, we can't do anything with it that will actually redeem it. It can't be done. God subjected it, though, in hope. We sinned. It had to be subjected. But the hope was one he provided by sending his only begotten son to die and rise again. He didn't just subject it in, by itself. He subjected it in hope. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, we read in the scripture. He had to subject the universe to futility, to vanity, because God's just and holy, and we are sinful and rebellious. If you don't think you are, you got it all figured out. You're in the wrong place, but you're wrong. And even thinking that's pretty prideful, so you might want to deal with that. He provided a way for the corruption that is in the universe now, and more particularly, the corruption of us ourselves, to be redeemed from corruption and experience his glory. That is an amazing thing. The children of God are free. Free. We talk about freedom, like in our country, like it's a free country. And the people are like, eh, well, you know, it depends, right? Because we're never going to have a truly free. You're never going to have true freedom in a sinful world. But the children of God are free. This is what the Lord says, John 8, 34 to 36. Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And the son has made us free. You are men and women that have become children of God. If you are in Christ and you are free indeed, the children of liberty. When we're in heaven, all, all is before you. You are, it's complete liberty because you, there is no sin. You're not going to be tempted to sin. There's not going to be sin. All is freedom. You have never experienced that. You have been locked into a sinful world and a sinful body your whole life. You have never experienced true and complete freedom. But that is what you were made for. And that is what you will get. You have liberty in Christ. When we are transformed and God reveals his glory, we shall be completely free from sinfulness and brokenness and death and fear and pain and suffering. It's all going to be gone. The whole creation groans. You see it. 
Even the earth doesn't act like it was intended to act. It groans under the brokenness that sin has brought to this universe. It groans, waiting for the redemption. And we who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, we groan ourselves waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies will be made perfect. I know you're thinking, I'm already close to that. <laughs> it's even better. It's even better. No, obviously none of our bodies are perfect. We will be raised to glorious perfection. The Holy Spirit is our seal that we are God's and he is drawing us to himself and we are groaning for that renewal. And you all know this. This is not hard to figure out. Every one of you is groaning because of the sinfulness of the world. Every one of you that's in Christ, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to groan for the redemption. You know it. Deep inside of you, you know it. All those whispers from eternity of these things that are good, but what's all this bad? And you groan for the time when all the good is there fully and none of the bad. You groan for it. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. You guys saw the weird guy with the trumpet up here earlier? I'm sorry, Pastor Dave with the trumpet? That's what he's talking about. The last trumpet. For those of us who are still here, when the Lord comes, that last trumpet, you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, like that. Faster than that. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of, the, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my brothers, my sisters, listen. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is no sting of death because we will all be changed. We will put off corruption for incorruption. This mortal body that can be sick and in pain and fear and worry and death, we'll put all that off for the immortal. The immortal will experience joy forever. And we know this. We know this. We know what every time we see evil, we know what every time we do what we know we ought not to do. All those times, we recognize the world is broken. And we know we weren't made for brokenness. Why would we desire perfection so much if it was never the intent? You desire that which you were made for, that hope that you have, you would never have if it was not that that was what you were made for. You know this. You know that you will be changed we are made to live and to live in freedom and joy and real eternal pleasure. This world is not our home. We do not belong here. You don't belong here in this world. You do belong here in this church, in the body of Christ, where we experience just a piece of that which we will see face to face of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't belong here. 
If you are in Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. If you're saved, then you know this. You know the yearning. The earnest expectation, the craning of our necks, putting our heads out to see the glory that's coming. And it's this hope that gives us the strength to face what we've got to face. To continue on in this world, living out and fulfilling the Great Commission. We're waiting for our redemption, but we have work to do in the meantime. God could have brought us home, just so you know, the second you got saved. The second you got saved, you weren't made for this world anymore. You were no longer the sons of disobedience, the children of disobedience, but you're the children of God. As soon as you got saved, he could have taken you home because that's where you belong. You don't belong here, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Because there are others. There are others that need to be saved. You have a job. Your job right now is not to seek your own comfort and pleasure. Your job right now is not to think about the American dream or the Western dream, however you want to look at it, where you get a bunch of stuff for yourself and then you retire and then you consume all that stuff and leave some for your kids and you move on. There's nothing bad about the idea of living that kind of a life except this, you're saved. You're saved, so you're not for this world. So what are you doing just trying to enjoy this world the most you can when instead what you ought to be doing is building your life. Not that you shouldn't have stuff, not that you shouldn't retire. I'm not saying any of that. There's a time to stop working for the man. There's a time for all of that. But the question is, what is your life about? What are your priorities? The only reason you're still here is so that God can work through you. We are his body, the church. He is working through you to do what's on the wall out there, the Great Commission. That's what you're here for. Or else he just would have taken us home to be with him. There's no reason for us to stay here. You've got to understand that. There is no reason for you to be here and go through the pain and go through the brokenness if not for the fact that your Savior has work for you to do. Eternal work. You are not here to hang out and enjoy the sights. You are here for the unbeliever who God loves so desperately and who he is drawing to himself and who he wants you to be part He wants you to be part of their salvation. He wants you to be part of how he draws them to himself. That's what you're here for. When I talk about the mission, that's the mission. The wrath of God is on the children of disobedience. We don't want them to go to hell. That's not what we want. We were all once the children of disobedience before we became the children of God. We want to make disciples for Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that he has commanded, for he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You're at the end of the age. He's still with us. He is still drawing people to himself. I do not want him to come back and find us thinking about the world, becoming friends with the world, worrying about the world, worrying about the things that we have, worrying about all of that. And he's going to be like, what what are you doing? Well, I was just really worried about that. I really needed that thing. And he's going to be like, that's not what you're here for. I could have just brought you home. There's so much better. You want things? How about streets of gold? You want things? Come on. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break and steal. Invest in the kingdom of God because that's why you're still here. If you're not going to do that, he's probably just going to take you home. Why bother? If you're going to refuse to live the mission he's got for you, he's probably just going to bring you home. 
And you're like, well, that sounds pretty good. Heaven sounds pretty good. Well, except that when you haven't done what he told you to do, it's not going to be very comfortable before the Bama seat. Right? As through fire. Some people are going to come in with their tail feathers on fire. I don't want to smell smoke on you when you come into the kingdom. Okay? It's like, somebody barbecuing something? No, I don't know what that is. I... First Corinthians, the last verse we read, 1558. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. You're on a mission, not because we're part of the broken world, not because we're part of the broken world, but because some people still are. And we've been called, we've been called to minister to them, to love them, to care for them to love our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us, to pray for them, right? To stand strong. Your labor's not futile. This world, this universe has been subjected to vanity, to futility. We know that. But you know what's not? Your work for the Lord. There's one thing in this world that is not futile. And we're told in the scripture right here, your work is not in vain. It means it's not futile. It's not vanity. Your work is, is an eternal thing, leading to eternal results. Pretty special, because everything else is just vanity. It's just futility. We're his body, we're the church. We are working to see his glory in bringing people to Christ. Seeing them receive the Holy Spirit in power and their lives to be free and to live eternally. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You don't see it yet, obviously, right? I told you you could even handle it if you did. You explode. You can't handle it. It's not hope if you see it. We believe it based on the faith God has given us. We believe it. Oh, what's faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1, 1, let me tell you. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've talked to you about faith a number of times. There's a big tree right out there. If you want, when you're done with church today and you're going out to your car or your motorcycle or your sidecar, whatever you came in, I want you to look at that tree and ask yourself, does it have roots? Because you can't see them. It's just this humongous tree coming out of the ground. Does it have roots? And you're going to go, yeah. How do you know? Because it would fall over, Right? We know the roots exist because we can see the tree is standing up. We, that's what faith is. Faith is not just like, I'm telling you all, there's a seven-foot bunny, you know, walking around, you go, or a unicorn, and you all go, all right, I believe it based on nothing. That's not what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. We believe in the things we cannot see because of the things we can see. We are hoping for redemption and eternal life based on the evidence of our hope. What's the evidence? The scripture, the amazing creation of God, the testimony of the saints that came before us, the testimony of the apostles who saw Jesus rise from the dead, who were taught by him, and many of whom went to their deaths because they would not stop saying that Jesus rose from the dead. They were willing to die for it. The testimony of the Holy Spirit in your own heart that makes you yearn. Why are you yearning? Because it's true. The evidence of things not seen. 
the joy that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all true. It's all true. We will live forever in glorious redeemed bodies with our Lord face to face. We have all the evidence in the world. And we ought to stand strong in our hope. But it's difficult. So the Holy Spirit helps us. Let's read verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So you don't even know what to pray for. You don't fully understand it. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. You can't even say them. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for you. He's standing for you. Groaning for us as we suffer in the brokenness of the world because he knows. He knows every bit of what it is like because he's in us. Because Jesus Christ came and suffered all of it. And he empowers us. He empowers us to go on and remain steadfast. But his intercession is according to the will of God. We don't always like the will of God. Right? Sometimes it's God's will that we should suffer for the sake of the kingdom. We share in the sufferings of Christ. We don't like it when that's his will. We really like it when it's his will to enjoy ourselves. That will, we're good with that. Thanks, God. I like that will. But when the will is, no, you're going to have to go through something, we don't like that. Don't forget that he can empathize with us because Jesus Christ came and suffered like none of us have suffered. He took on all of our sin. You ever suffered from your own sin? The guilt, the shame, the difficulty? All of yours, all of mine. All of mine would be enough. All, all of everyone's. He took it on. He has suffered like you cannot imagine. His death on the cross was more than we could imagine. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And then he rose again, defeating all of it. We know, we know that suffering is part of living in these broken bodies on this broken earth in this broken universe. We know it. Every attempt of man and woman to usher in utopia has been an abject failure. We've talked about this before. You know, this was, this was the hope of modernism. We come out of the Middle Ages, people are like, we can do, you know, science and, and art and these things, and we can figure it out. We're going to figure it out, right? And they were on that track, like, we're gonna, everything's going to get better and better. Look, a light bulb, bloop. And then, World War I. And they all went, okay, we have no idea what we're doing. And then, World War II. And we went, okay, we're a mess, right? And so then we get into the postmodern age where we go, just forget it, nothing's true. All the time, through all of it, the scripture has always said the same thing. The world is broken and you will not fix it. It will only be fixed when the King of Kings returns, period. Y'all have probably seen Lord of the Rings. This idea of the return of the King. It's going to set it right. It's going to defeat all of it and they're going to, have, they're going to live in glory. That's the idea, right? Tolkien, of course, being a believer himself. The King is coming. The King is coming. The world's broken, but it doesn't mean that God has no purpose for your suffering. This is important. He knows your suffering. He will comfort you in your suffering. And this is important. I want you to, I want you to understand this. When you suffer, God will not waste one tear. 
not one broken bone, not one groan of pain, not one pang of fear, not one drop of blood, not one surgery, not one lost loved one, not one disease, not one broken heart, none of those things, not one of them will be wasted for those who are in Christ. Next verse. Here it comes. Dun, dun. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You want something that's going to get you through it? Know this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things. I've got an all caps here on my notes. All things. Not some things. Not a few things. Not all. I'll redeem some things. Nope. All things work together for good. He doesn't just redeem some of it. He redeems all of it. For those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. If you're a Christ follower, if you're saved, that's you. He will redeem every pain for good. Every single one. He will work everything you do, everything you experience, every tear you shed for good. You have no idea the glory that will be revealed through the things you have experienced. Some of you have had terrible things happen. People that have died, sexual assault, children that have, that have caused you incredible pain, family members, friends, broken hearts, people who have treated you horribly. You've gone through a lot. As an attorney, I've seen things that I wouldn't even tell you about because I wouldn't want them in your mind. I've seen pain. And yet, and yet, all things, God will work together for good for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Some of you know that I have had an anxiety disorder since I was in my early 20s. Um, it has been so painful at times that I just, I don't know how to deal with it. I just, I just can't. I need the Lord. I didn't ask for it. That's for sure. But here's the thing. Knowing what I know now, I would ask for it. The greatest pain in my life has been worked together by God for good. And I've been able to see it while still living. Not all of these things will you see while still living. Some of them you'll find out about it when you fully know. But I've gotten to see it in my own life. He has used my pain in so many ways to strengthen me, to strengthen and comfort others, to give me understanding, empathy, and compassion. Things that I did not naturally have. I was not, I was broken. And God has been transforming me. And one of the ways he's done that is through that pain. That pain that I didn't even know what to do with sometimes. He's taken so much of my pridefulness, my hard-heartedness, and he has made me trust him so much through that pain. I would ask for it. I would ask for it. I know that he works all things together for good. He truly works all things together for good. You have to put it in your heart. Like I said, if you can get this in your heart, you will never worry like you worry now again. You will never have fear like you have fear now again. You will never feel hopeless like you sometimes feel hopeless now. If that's you, get this in your heart. We have a good father. You are the children of a good father who will work all things together for good. In the brokenness of every broken situation, God works all things for good. Look for it. This is what I would encourage you, exhort you to do. 
look for it. Look to see how he is working things together for good in your life. If you're going through a painful situation, if you're suffering, what is he teaching you? How is this going to be used to help, to minister, to go on in the mission? How is the way that you're handling it a testimony to other people? How might he use it? The good things that happen. How does he want to use it? Because he will work all things together for good. And he doesn't just do one thing at one time for one person. Through the pains, like I talked about my anxiety disorder. He's used that for many things, for many people. Because it's all about him. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's not about you. But your sufferings, you will be comforted in. And you can be certain of the promises of God that all things work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. You can be transformed through suffering or through rejoicing or through whatever you experience because he is always working, always working. He never stops caring for you. Never. He never stops thinking about you. When you sleep, he's thinking about you. When you wake up, he's thinking about you. In the good times and the broken times, he's thinking about you. He loves you like you cannot believe. The love that you have for the person you feel like you love the most in the world is a joke in comparison to how much he loves you. How crazy is that? Well, who are we? As the psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Right? Well, who are we? And yet every single one of you, he is thinking about right now. Right now. God is always working all things together for good because of who you are in him. Don't forget, Christian, who you are. Don't forget who you are. You're a child of God. Let's read the next two verses, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Dude. Dude. Do you know who you are? Because if you're walking around not understanding who you are, you don't get it. You don't get it. You have been called by God. He knew you before you were born. He knew you before the universe was created by the power of his word. He's known you all that time. And he will conform you, Christ follower, into the image of his son. Jesus rose from the dead, and he is the firstborn of those who will be glorified. What we see in Jesus' resurrection is what will happen with you, Christ follower. That's where you are headed. You have been justified by Jesus Christ because you have believed on him for the forgiveness of your sins. As the scripture says about your justification, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can only do that because Jesus has already paid the price for you. That's why he can do it. When you confess your sins, he forgives. And no one can accuse you anymore for what Christ has paid for and forgiven. Do you understand that? Do not carry your shame and your guilt past the cross. Leave it there. No one can accuse you for what the Lord has forgiven you for. You are justified, sanctified, already seated in the heavenly places. God has made you whole. Now, the reverse is also true. If you're not in Christ, you have none of this to look forward to. 
unless you receive the salvation he has for you. That's a reality. That's a reality. If that's you today, today's the day. Today's the day. Why live as a child of wrath any longer, the child of disobedience any longer, when you can be a child of God? Why live that way? Be saved from sin and death and step into joy. Earnestly expect the redemption that is to come and then live on mission for Jesus. Live on mission for Jesus Christ like the rest of us are doing. You can have an eternal purpose. If you're a Christ follower, you do have an eternal purpose, an eternally valuable purpose. That's why it says your work is not in vain. Vain, temporal, useless. No, it's not in vain. But the unbeliever, it's all in vain. It's all vanity. Read Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. For the unbeliever, that's true. For the believer, it's not true at all. You have an eternally valuable purpose in the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ in his death and glorious resurrection. That's who you are. Now, this last section of the scripture, I just want to read it. I just want to read through it. I have, I have nothing that I, can, that I think I could add to it to make it any more glorious. It's amazing. This is something that I want you to let ignite you. Get inside your soul. Let it spark your excitement. Let it fuel your growth. These are the promises of God I'm about to read. And this is the end of the gospel argument that we've been talking about for many, many weeks. This is the therefore of all the therefores in the gospel argument. Because everything we've, we've studied so far about ourselves, who have no excuse before God, because he's shown us all we need to know, Jew, Gentile, everybody. We know by the scriptures, by what has been made, we know. And about the uselessness of the law, the law we could not keep, the uselessness of it to save us. About how we've all sinned, about how we all deserve death, about how Jesus Christ took our place and died for us while we were yet sinners. About how through Jesus, life and peace and hope have come to mankind. We've read about how those who are in Christ are no longer slaves to sin and our fallen bodies no longer enslave us to their passions because God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. You may remember that from last time. We've learned about our adoption as heirs, as sisters and brothers, but as sons and daughters, as children of God, about the redemption of our bodies which is to come and about how all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. All of that, all of that, about how we've been known and predestined from before the creation of the world to be justified and glorified in Jesus Christ. And because of all of that, this. Get this in you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. It was even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, in all your suffering, in all your pain, in all the things you've gone through, in all the things you're worried about today, in your family who doesn't know the Lord, in the people in your life who have addictions, in the people who are suffering, in the people who have sicknesses and diseases and whatever you're dealing with, in all of that, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you get that inside you, you will not grow another day older spiritually. You're eternal. Start living like it. Start living like it. Start thinking about what is that work that is eternal. Start thinking about who you are. Start thinking about who God is. Start thinking about what he's done for you. Start thinking about the fact that you cannot be separated from him. Start thinking about the fact that whatever you're dealing with, all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Start thinking about that. Start living in it. Marinate it. Get up and every morning read that section if you need to. Sometimes I got to read it more often than others because it's got to be in me if I want to be able to move forward because the Holy Spirit testifies to my heart that this is true. Absolutely 100% gold truth. And it is the truth that separates you from the world who doesn't understand it. And it is the truth that you are responsible to bring to the world. That's who you are. That's why you're still here. 